Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me just remind you very quickly before we begin this morning, Mission LaGrange is coming up in a couple of weeks. You have the opportunity in the breezeway to sign up for various different ministries that are ongoing all through the week, morning, afternoon, evening. So there's a place for everybody. I want to encourage you, like I've already done, to find a place and serve. I want every person involved on some level. If you can't do any of the ministries in, in here in LaGrange during the week because you're out of town, you can pray for us. Sign up for prayer. Sign up for prayer walking. Just please be involved in, on some level so we can reach this community for Jesus Christ. Okay? Right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for time of worship already this morning with song. Or we thank you for a time we can come together as a body of Christ and think about your word. Study your word, Father. I'm just so thankful for the country we live in, for the freedoms that we have as we celebrate, Lord, this coming up weekend, the 4th of July, and what you've given to us. I pray that we wouldn't take those freedoms for granted. And I pray, Father, as followers of Jesus Christ, we would honor you and the things that we say and do. Lord, be with us in our time this morning as we open the truth of your word. Speak to our hearts very clearly. Help us to understand the truth of what you're teaching and through the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, we'd be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10. And as you're opening to Genesis chapter 10, I want to spend just a few moments at the beginning of the sermon making mention of the Supreme Court's decision this Friday that I'm sure at this point we're all aware of. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time doing this because I'm, I'm just in, in some real prayer about this personally, how I should speak to this as your pastor. And, and I'm kind of leaning right now towards, in a few weeks, kind of putting pause on the Genesis study and preaching through this idea in Scripture because I think it's important as Christians we understand what the Bible says. But I can't do it in three minutes, and so I'm not going to try. But what I want to do this morning is just give you three quick things you need to remember. In light of their decision to legalize gay marriage, first and foremost, God is still in control. Can we affirm that as followers of Jesus Christ? He's still in control. He didn't wake up Friday morning and see the verdict and go, oh, what am I going to do now? He still sits on his throne. He's still got a plan. And his ultimate plan, in light of this decision and any other decision, is to still reach the world through Christ. That's who he is. That's our calling in this world. So we don't need to be upset and concerned that the Lord doesn't know what's going on. He absolutely does. That's first. Here's the second thing. As Christians, we cannot support any law or court ruling that clearly opposes the truth of the Word of God. We just can't do that. It may be popular. It may be something that the judges say is right. It may be politically correct. All those things. But if we're going to stand on the truth of the Word of God, we need to be clear in what it says and be faithful to its teachings. And the Bible is clear. Marriage is between one man and one woman. It's been that way since Genesis 1 and 2. We see that all through the Old Testament. We see it in the Gospels. We see it in the writings of Paul. Over and over again, we see that in Scripture. So I want to read for you, just to be very clear, Rosemont's doctrinal position on this issue. And by the way, this has been online for years. We didn't just put it up this weekend. It comes from the Baptist Faith and Message. Some of you are very familiar with it, but I want you to listen to what it says. 
Marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in covenant commitment for a lifetime. It's God's unique gift to reveal the union between Christ and His church and to provide for the man and the woman in marriage the framework for intimate companionship, the channel of sexual expression according to the biblical standards, and the means for procreation of the human race. If we're going to claim to be Christians... We need to be willing to stand on the truth of the Word of God regardless of what it costs us. And I think we all need to prepare our hearts because the day's coming. The day's coming where we're going to be challenged to choose between what the Scripture teaches and what the world says. And I think you need to be ready in your hearts to make that decision when the time comes. Finally, the last thing I want to say before we get back into Genesis chapter 10 is as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, our ultimate calling is to love others, even when we disagree. Now, I think we need to be awfully careful in the things that we say and the way we phrase the things that we say. I've read an awful lot of things these last few days from people that claim to be Christians that aren't Christ-like. So if you're going to post something on Facebook or tweet something out or put something on Instagram, you're, you're free to do that. But if you're going to claim to be a follower of Christ, do it as Christ would do it in love. Because Christ did love those that were different than him. Christ did welcome the sinner, and he welcomed them by saying, I have a gift for you, and I have hope for you when the world has nothing. That's who we've got to be as followers of Jesus Christ. This is not going away, it's not going to get any easier. But we've got to choose to live our lives for the sake of the gospel because in that, the Lord will bless us. And I promise you, he's still got a plan. Now, having said that, let's turn our attention to Genesis chapter 10 and continue our study this morning. Now, we're going to do something this morning we hadn't done. We've walked through every passage of Scripture in the book of Genesis, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to do something this morning we haven't done up until this point. We're going to kind of skim through portions of chapter 10 and 11 because I want to focus this morning on a certain part of Genesis chapter 11. Now, I'm not skimming through it because there's anything wrong with it. I just want to spend a a more time in Genesis chapter 11. And I just want to kind of give you a brief summary of what we see in chapter 10 and what we're going to see in part of chapter 11 and focus our attention this morning on the Tower of Babel. So Genesis chapter 10, just a very quick summary. If you have your Bibles and you have headings in your Bibles, just just to remember the headings are not inspired by the Lord. Like, just remember that. Those are not the divine words of Scripture. Those are just some person's attempt to clarify and summarize what you're about to read. But most Bibles in Genesis chapter 10 have the heading, the table of nations. Because Genesis chapter 10 is this picture of the three sons of Noah and their descendants and how those descendants moved to start nations and to start different people groups. So if you see Genesis chapter 10, verse 1 kind of summarizes and tells you where you're about to go. Genesis chapter 10, verse 1. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons. Now, if you were to skim down through, you'd see in verse 2, we read the sons of Japheth, and then there's a list of who came from him. Verse 6, the sons of Ham, and then there's a list of the people and the nations that come from him. And then verse 21, the sons born to Shem, and there's a list of people and nations that have come from him. It's a genealogy, it's a picture, it's a table of nations. And if you were to read through it, which I encourage you to do, you would come to names that are very familiar to you if you've spent any time studying the Word of God. Names like Magog. 
Now, if you've ever read the end-time prophecies in the book of Revelation, you realize that Gog and Magog play very important roles there. Tarshish is listed. This is where Jonah's going to flee when he's running from the Lord. Egypt is listed. We're familiar with Egypt. Countries like Babylon, Assyria, places like Nineveh, people like the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, Gaza, Sodom, Gomorrah, on and on the list goes in Genesis chapter 10. Of all these people and all these places that are familiar to us, and Moses, remember the writer of the book of Genesis, wants us to understand where these nations have come from and how we move now from the people that have gotten off the ark and the sons of Noah into the nations of the world. Now, if you were to fast forward into Genesis chapter 11, and you were to start in verse 10, you would see, the Bible says, this is the account of Shem. And so we're going to go back now, and we're going to reiterate who Shem is, and we're going to talk through his genealogy, because this is important. This is the connection for us. Between chapters 11 and chapter 12, or something very different in the book of Genesis, 1 through 11 is the creation account. And the flood, and we'll see original sin we've talked about, and we'll see this morning the Tower of Babel. After chapter 11, beginning in chapter 12, God begins his very specific plan through the patriarchs to redeem the world back to himself. Okay? So Genesis chapter 12, Abraham enters the picture, and we begin to see now this concerted effort to reach people through the gospel. Genesis chapter 11, the second half, ties in Shem, who's the son of Noah, with Abraham. See that? There's the connecting point. So we're making this connection between Noah and his sons, and eventually Abraham, who will be the father of the Israelite people that will eventually bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. Now, we've kind of summarized 10 and 11. So I want to spend a, a few minutes this morning kind of focusing on a few verses in the beginning of chapter 11 of Genesis. So let's turn our attention, if we would, to Genesis chapter 11, because kind of stuck in the middle of these genealogies is this very interesting story of a really tall tower. So Genesis chapter 11, we're going to look, first of all, at the first two verses. The words of the Lord say this, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward... They found a plain in Shinar and settled there. Now I want to stop there and I want to make kind of a, a, a big picture summary of these two verses. It's going to seem pretty obvious to you. We're not going to spend a lot of time there, but I want to make some points here. Truth number one we see in verses one and two. At this point in history, the world still had one common language. Bible tells us that these people spoke the same language. They had the same tongue. These are the people that have gotten off the ark. Noah and his three sons and their descendants, and they're still speaking the same language. Now, for us, that may be hard to understand. Because if you spend any time outside of your area, and it's easier and easier to do this now, you understand English isn't the only language, right? We know that, right? In fact, in our local area, multiple different languages are spoken from all around the world. You can go to the city of Atlanta, and you can find just about every language in the world in the city of Atlanta. If you want to learn a language from somewhere else in the world, you can go to the city of Atlanta and you can meet somebody that speaks it and talk to that person. And so it's hard for us to imagine with all these thousands of different languages and all the different dialects and all the different people that speak this all around the world, how is it possible for us to argue that there used to be one language? Well, the Bible is clear in what it says. There was a point in history when people still had a common language. But researchers who kind of study this thing and study linguistics 
have arrived at the conclusion that they also believe they can prove that there was one common language. In fact, I was doing some research this week studying this very idea and I found an article entitled Researchers Trace Language of Billions Back to One Ancient Ancestor. So they do all this research and they they start noticing words that are the same in certain languages. And they can trace it back to the writings and they kind of put these computer models together and they try to figure out how these languages relate to each other and how it can kind of narrow them down. And here's what they said. They believe that a certain period of time ago, several thousand years ago, there were kind of seven major languages. And all the languages of the world we have today come from those seven languages. But they believe that those seven languages had one common ancestor. In fact, here's what the study says. The scientists drew up a family tree of the seven languages. All emerged from a common tongue. Isn't that interesting? I always think it's kind of funny when scientists discover what the Bible has always said. (laughs) Man, they could have saved a few million dollars in their study if they had just read Genesis chapter 11. The Bible's told us from the beginning there was one common language. And so these people, they get off the boat, they begin to explore, they begin to move, they begin to travel the world. They're in the plain of Shinar, which is probably Babylon. We'll see that in just a few minutes. The area of Mesopotamia, between the rivers, Tigris and Euphrates, modern day Iraq. By the way, it's interesting if you wanted to go do some history and read a little bit about it. Saddam Hussein, in the early 80s, tried to rebuild the city of Babylon. Did you know that? Because it's in Iraq. And he had this sense of, of recreating this powerful empire and this powerful city. This is the place we're talking about. This is where they settle. Now verse 3. Let's continue to go through this. Up to this point, these people have expanded. They've settled down. Nothing wrong. There's no, no problem, no big deal at this point. And then Genesis chapter 11 verse 3. So they said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They use brick instead of stone. And tar for mortar. Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. So that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now here's truth number two. This is where the story kind of takes a turn, right? We've seen this very interesting progression through the book of Genesis. Good things happen. The Lord blesses. Sin enters the picture and everything changes, right? We've seen that over and over again. It's really the theme throughout Scripture. It's the the theme throughout our lives, by the way, right? The Lord does good things. We sin. We separate ourselves from the Lord. We see that over and over. We see it here again. These people who've now come off the ark, the descendants of Noah, the descendants of his son, they settle in the east. They come together and they say, we're going to build a tower. But here's the problem, point number two. They sought their own glory, not the glory of the Lord. That's the problem. They decided they wanted to glorify themselves instead of bringing glory to the Lord. So they decide they're going to build this city. They decide they're going to build this tower. And before they can build this city and before they can build this tower, they need bricks. Now, we live in a world that doesn't really understand this anymore, right? If we were going to build a massive skyscraper, probably the last thing we would use would be bricks. Instead, we would have steel, and we'd have concrete, and we'd have massive cranes, right? You've seen them going up in the city of Atlanta. Have any of you seen the dome being built? Anybody been by the dome? Massive concrete, massive steel, no bricks. But the way they used to build things is by brick. Now, just imagine if you were told to build a skyscraper with bricks one at a time, the amount of work that would go into that. Now, we're not familiar with this in our world, in in this particular culture, but in a lot of parts of the world today... And really all through history, 
people that were going to build a tower had to make their own bricks. You ever, you ever thought about that? You didn't go to the local store and buy just a big pile of bricks. You literally made your own bricks. This is true in Zambia. We saw this last year when we went. Those of you that have visited Zambia have seen the same thing. By the way, there's an upcoming opportunity to do Zambia in October. I know we just got a, a trip back. We've got another team going in October. So if you're interested, you be praying about that. You can talk to Randy Presley about that. But in Zambia, as in a lot of parts of Africa and really all over the world, India is the same way, they make their own bricks by hand. And they have these little molds, a little piece of wood sometimes, and they'll just put kind of the, the mortar or the, 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 the dirt and the mud in there. They'll pack it together, they'll wet it, and they'll leave it out in the sun to bake for a little while and get hard. And then the way they kind of make this thing really, really tough is they pile it up. They, they build these big piles of bricks. And so you can see all over Zambia, you see these big piles of bricks. And they'll pile them up 8 or 10 or 12 or 15 feet wide and 6 or 8 or 10 feet tall. But in the bottom of the bricks, they'll leave a tunnel. It's very interesting. And they leave a tunnel that's really big enough if you wanted to, you could kind of crawl underneath these bricks. And the reason they do that is once they've piled these bricks up, and once they have this tunnel built, they build fires under the brick. And what happens is over the course of several days, they allow this fire to burn, and it heats up the lower bricks. The lower bricks heat up the bricks above them until all the bricks have been heated up, and they're cured, and they're very hard. So we see this idea when they say we're going to build these bricks and we're going to bake them thoroughly. You see that? We're going to make these things hard. I'll never forget last year when we were in Zambia, we, we had to go pick up a pile of bricks. And we had paid a guy locally to help us make these bricks. And so we show up at his site and he's got this big pile of bricks. I mean, it was probably 10 feet tall, 15 or 20 feet wide, a huge... It was so big, he had three tunnels under it, really, and all the fires burning. And what they didn't tell me before we got there is that the fires were still burning. And when the fires are still burning, guess what the bricks are? Hot. What they also didn't tell me is the gloves they had were so worn down they didn't have fingers in them. That's not good when you're trying to pick up hot bricks. And so for a couple of hours, we loaded several hundred bricks from this hot, hot pile. And you want to talk about a real-life hot potato. That was hot. You pick them up as quick as you can and you throw them in the truck. It's a, it's a different world for us, but this is the world they live in, right? They had to build these bricks. They had to manufacture these bricks so they could build this tower. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, right? We haven't reached the problem yet in this text. No sin, no issues, no major things we need to be concerned of until we get to verse 4. Now, look with me again in verse 4 because there, there, there are really two things we need to see here. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that... Now, if you're taking notes in your Bible, you need to underline that idea. You need to make a note of it. So that we may make a name for ourselves. That's not the right one right there. City, a tower. Oh, there it is. Yes, yeah, top right. We, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to heaven. So that, you see the words? We may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the earth. So there, there are two things in verse 4 that, that point to an issue for us that we need to think through just for a few minutes. The first is that they wanted to reach the heavens. They wanted to build a tower that literally kind of put them on par with the Lord. You see that? We want to build a tower so high that we're going to be on par with the Lord. Now the word used for tower is interesting here. Because it's not the standard word you would use for tower. Instead they use a word that's very closely related to the word great. So there's a sense here, this wasn't just any regular tower. This wasn't a tall tower. This was a tower that would make them great in the eyes of the world. 
In fact, one writer explained it like this, talking about that word and how that word was used. He said, the aspiration is to build a tower with its peak in the heavens. Had the writer wanted to say simply that the plan was to build a high tower, he had at his disposal a number of words that would easily have conveyed that idea. Yet it's clear from other Old Testament passages that the expression with its peak in the heavens is figurative language to describe the impressive and monumental proportions of the tower. So there's this sense by the word that's used here, we understand this isn't just a simple tower. This is a tower designed to display greatness. Okay? Now stay with me, we're we're getting somewhere. You're you're thinking, what does this tower have to do with me? We're going to get there in a minute. Here's the second thing we need to understand. Not only did they want to make a tower that would pierce the heavens, but the second problem in this verse is they're doing all these things so they can make a name for themselves. You see that? Their desire wasn't to bring glory to the Lord. Their desire was to bring glory to themselves. They wanted to be like God. They said, we're going to build this tower. It's going to be so high. We're going to be God-like in our greatness. We're going to build this tower. It's going to be so monumental and massive that we're going to be glorified in all the world. We're going to make a name for ourselves. People are going to look at us and talk about how powerful we are. And we're going to be, in a sense, God-like to the rest of the world. I'm reminded of Genesis 3. You may remember the story. The serpent is lying to Eve. He's explaining to her what's going to happen when she eats the fruit. And here's what the Word of God says in Genesis 3, 4, and 5. The serpent speaking to Eve. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, he's speaking of the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will, here's the phrase, be like God. See that? Human beings from the beginning have struggled with this idea of being like God. Now very few of us would phrase it like that. We probably wouldn't say we want to be God-like in our lives. But here's what we would say. We want to be in control, don't we? We want to make decisions, don't we? And we get to the place, if we're not careful in our lives... That we're much more concerned with our desires than with the desires of the Lord. We're much more concerned with our will than with His will. And so here's what we begin to do. We, We begin to take the truth of Scripture and we say something like this. I know this is biblical. I know it's truthful. I know I'm supposed to live my life like this, but I just don't really want to. And so we set it aside. I know it's what the Word of God teaches I know it's accurate, I know it's real, I know it's inspired by the Lord, I know, it's, I know it's His truth, but I'm just not willing to live like this. I've had people tell me in my office, looking me in the face, saying something like this, I know what I'm doing is a sin, but the Lord's just going to have to forgive me. That's a scary place to be, but it's the place we find ourselves often, isn't it? We may not say it like that, but if we're not very careful, our desire is to build our own tower, isn't it? Our desire is to build our own kingdom, isn't it? Our desire is to build a life based on what we want to do in spite of the true teachings of the Word of God. Uh, So I think the, the Tower of Babel really serves as a warning for us. We need to be careful. We need to be very aware that we're not trying to take the glory of the Lord away from Him and bring it to ourselves. Because when we do that, that ultimately only leads to ruin. 
Now, I enjoy history, and so I like studying things like this, but the, the list is long of all the people throughout history that thought they were godlike. The list through history is long of the people that tried to build their kingdom instead of the kingdom of the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar is an example in Daniel chapter 4. He built the tall idol. You can read about that. King Herod in the book of Acts. Alexander the Great. Julius Caesar. Louis the Fourteenth. All these names on and on and all these people in history that are famous and all these people that wanted to be godlike and all these people that try to build their own kingdom. You know what they all have in common? They all failed to be godlike. They all die just like you and I will. I read a very interesting article this week and I should have printed it to read some of it to you. It was the story of a young man who's in his early 30s. He's already a millionaire worth over, I think over like $100 million. And he's got these goals in life. His goal was to be a millionaire by the time he was 30 and then to be a billionaire by the time he's 40, whatever. And then he wants another one of his goals is to live beyond 100 years. And then his final goal, now it's in the article, I'm not making it up. His final goal is before he dies, he wants to be a god. That's what he says. And he's serious. It's not a joke. <laughs> I mean, there, there are people that really kind of take this seriously, this idea of being God-like. The problem is, when we take the glory from the Lord and bring it to ourselves, we never succeed. And God is never pleased. Now, I want to give you a, a, a little clue here. I think this is fascinating. If you want to do something of significance, if you want to have a great name, the only way you're going to do it is by allowing the Lord to work through you. For example, we'll see this in a couple of weeks. Genesis chapter 12, the Lord speaking to Abraham. I want you to listen to the words. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. I, this is the Lord speaking to Abram, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. Abraham's not going to do it himself. But by trusting in the Lord and faithfully following the Lord, the Lord will make Abraham great. 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning verse 9, speaking about King David. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut off all your enemies from before you now. Hear the words. I will make your name great. See that? There's this pattern of history. There's this pattern throughout the scripture that says that greatness only comes by allowing the Lord to use us. Greatness only comes when we allow the Lord to speak through us and work through us and we give Him our ability and our hearts and all of our being. If you want to be great, serve the Lord in all things. If you want to be great, serve the Lord in all things. Here's the problem. Nobody's been able to do it yet fully, have they? Dwight L. Moody made a very famous quote many years ago. He says, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. See, we realize that we're not perfect. We realize we're never going to get everything completely right. But by the grace of the Lord working in our lives, he can and will do great things through us if we allow him. But that starts by you stopping bringing glory to yourself and beginning in all things to bring glory to the Lord.
1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of the Lord. So we've got a group of people now that have decided to build a tower, they're going to build a city, and they're consciously doing it to bring a name to themselves. They're intentionally doing it because they want to receive glory, not the Lord. Here's the question, what's the Lord going to do? Verse 5 of our study, look with me. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building, and the Lord said... If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Verse 7, come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That's why it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. Here's truth number three. God confused their language. Now, this is the judgment against their sinfulness. We need to understand that. This is because they chose to bring glory to themselves and not bring glory to the Lord. Now, verse 7 is an interesting little verse. Bring that back up if you would for me, please, Wanda. Verse 7 is very interesting because the Lord is speaking and he says, Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. There's two very interesting things about this verse. The first one is that the Lord, in order to see this massive tower, has to come down from heaven to see it. I think that's interesting. They wanted to build a tower to heaven and instead they built this puny little tower the Lord couldn't even see from heaven, right? Now, this is not biblical, but I can just imagine the Lord going, Where, where, where is that thing again? Where's that tower? And in order to see it, he's got he's to come down to see it. One, one writer explained it like this. He said, it's a brilliant and dramatic way of expressing the puniness of man's greatness set alongside the Creator's omnipotence. That's true, isn't it? I'll never forget when I was a kid growing up, we used to go to Florida. We had a good friend that was in Jacksonville, Florida. And we would always go see him every summer. And we'd always go to the beach a couple days. And I'll never forget, I, don't, I was probably 10 years old. I don't know what happened before this or after this, but I remember this statement he made. I'll never forget it. We were standing there in the waves, and you know how you kind of walk out and into the surf a little bit, and the waves are coming in at your ankles and your knees, and a wave comes in every now and then. And he made this comment to me. I've never forgotten it. He said, every time I think I'm pretty good and, and powerful and great, he said, I come out here and I try to stop one wave. I think that's profound. See, if we're not careful, we think that we've created all these things. If we're not careful, we try to build our own kingdom and our own tower. And the Lord looks down upon the puniness of what we've done. And he says, you're nothing. Without me, you're nothing. And so verse 7, the Lord has to come down to see it. But there's an interesting phrase there. He says, let us come down. You see, I don't know if any of you picked that up again or not. That reminds me of Genesis 1, 26 and 27 and 28 in that passage of Scripture. The Lord says, let us, let us create man in our image. Remember, it's a, it's a picture we talked about this of the Trinity. The people that read this in this time period didn't fully understand the Trinity. We, under, we, we get that. But it's just a reminder of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so because these people have strayed from the Lord, because they've tried to create something to bring glory to themselves, because they're trying to make a name for themselves, the Lord judges them by confusing their language. Now, if you've ever had the chance to talk to somebody that doesn't speak your language, you know it can be a difficult conversation. If you've ever been in a room with somebody that speaks a language you don't speak and there's no translator, it can be weird. 
And you find yourself doing things you wouldn't normally do. You speak louder as if that would really help. You speak slower as if that matters. You use lots of hand gestures. I'll never forget when Pastor Raphael came and stayed with us in our house. And I'm trying to communicate with him. It's just funny as I kind of looked at myself and how I was acting. It just doesn't help to speak louder or quieter or slower or move your hands. You just can't understand each other. Now we have an opportunity when we go to Guatemala and do work in Guatemala. And by the way, there's a trip coming up in September. We've got a team already formed, and if you want to go, you can talk to Randy. I know some of you have expressed interest in that, but you're running out of time if you want to do that. But when we go to Guatemala, one of the things we do, construction projects. And we usually build some houses for these kinds of people, for these people in the jungle. And when you talk to these people, and you can't speak their language, it's very difficult to communicate with them. But it's even harder when you're on a construction site. Because there are very specific things you need to do, and very specific ways you need to work. And words like hammer and nail and concrete and block. And we don't, we don't understand those words. And so we always have to have a translator. So I, I understand, those of you that have been will understand the difficulty of these people. When the Lord confuses their language, they're no longer able to communicate. They're no longer able to build this tower. So what the Bible says is now because they speak different languages, they can't, can't communicate. They begin to scatter across the face of the earth. Now, I want you to think with me just for a second through this idea. I think this is really important for us to get from this. From these people, nations and people groups and languages are all formed. They all come from these common ancestors. We've seen that scripturally. Now, think with me just for a second. Let's just kind of understand this. If we come from a single ancestor, which would be Noah, if we all originally spoke the same language... If we all originally had the same culture, then even though we're different now, whether that means a people group, a race, a nation, a language that we speak, even though we're all different, we're equal in God's eyes. You see that? It's a a beautiful picture of what he's done here. Galatians 3, beginning in verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither, now watch this, Jew or Gentile. There's neither slave nor free, nor is there any male or female. For for you all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We are all children of God. We are all created in His image. And He calls us all to follow Him and do His will. Now because these people had a rebellious heart, because they were not interested in doing the will of the Lord, he confused their language and he scattered them throughout the earth. But I want you to see this and I'm going to finish up with this. Their problem wasn't that they wanted to build a tower. The problem wasn't that they wanted to build a city. The problem is they wanted to bring glory to themselves and take it from the Lord. And so I just want to challenge you by understanding exactly what happened in Genesis chapter 11. Exactly what these people did and exactly how the Lord dealt with them. Our hearts must be turned away from the things that we want to do and turned instead to the Lord. You understand that? You are not called to build your own kingdom or your own tower or to bring glory to yourself. You are instead called very clearly as a follower of Jesus Christ to build the kingdom of the Lord and in all things to glorify Him. That's our calling. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the the picture of the Tower of Babel, Lord, and the confusion of the languages and the struggles that these people face, Father. And I I pray that the application for us in our hearts right now would be we're not to be godlike. We're not to bring glory to ourselves. We're not to try to make a name for ourselves. We're to make your name great. We're to bring glory to you in all things. And so, Father, I pray you would just help us to understand exactly within our lives every moment of every day, Lord, how we can glorify you. How we can pick up our cross. How we can set aside our own desires. How we can set aside what we want to accomplish and instead choose to follow you. And then, Lord, I pray when we do that, you would do great things through us. Not because of our abilities, but because of your faithfulness. Lord, we love you and we trust you and we serve you in all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. And we're going to give you the opportunity, as we always do, just to open the altar. If you want to come and pray, maybe you need to pray about your walk, somebody else's walk, something you're dealing with in your life. Maybe you need to repent of your sins and accept Christ. Maybe you want to join this church, but this is your time to respond as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.